Ephesians 4:14-16 says this, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that by your word today, you would work in our hearts and our lives, Lord, that you would challenge us to change, to draw closer to you, to be more like you. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, of course, continuing our study here in Ephesians, uh, we are picking up right where we left off, really in the middle of a thought uh, there's a great transition really here from, from last week. We finished up with this thought of maturing in faith, growing in faith, that we should look different. As we, as we mature in faith, we should look different than we did yesterday. Over time, we should be changing and growing up in the Lord. Uh, and so now that brings us right into verse 14, that we should no longer be children, Now, the word children here literally means one not old enough to speak. We're not talking about just a little kid, right? And we will say, well, Jesus said to have childlike faith, and so what's so wrong with that? We're not talking about just a little kid. We're talking about an infant not able to care for themselves in any way, not able to articulate any sort of emotion. Any of you who are parents understand exactly what I'm talking about. And the days, I'm so glad that we're not in these days anymore myself, but the days of the infancy and the crying and the whining and the weeping and the grunting and all the things and all that's coming out of them is just sounds. There's no words and you're looking for, just tell me what's wrong with you, please. You can never quite figure out what's going on with an infant. You try to feed them, that's not working. You try to change them, that's not working. Maybe they need a nap, they won't go to sleep. You go through all these things trying to figure out what they're communicating, but they're not able to do it. They have a way, but they're not able to actually articulate. And that's the type that we're talking about. Not old enough to speak. It's an infancy stage. We're talking about the infant stage of Christianity. And what Paul is challenging them to is as you would grow in stature in the fullness of Christ, verse 13, that we should no longer be children. We should no longer be infants. When you are saved, when you you accept Jesus Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior, you make a commitment to trust in him, to walk with him, That should bring about a springboard, truly, that we're not going to be the same. We're not going to stay in this infancy stage. We're going to grow. An infant is entirely dependent on its parents for everything. You can go spend some time in the nursery, if you'd like, and we always are in great need of servants in the nursery, so you're welcome to do so. But you will see how well the church will go 
if we were all stuck in an infancy stage, go hang out for a half hour with the babies and tell me how well is the church going to operate if everybody is stuck in the infancy stage. Now we can laugh about it and think that's, that's silly. When we talk about little infants and them trying to, to operate and them trying to live life and figure things out and they can't do it. But sadly, I'll say that there's many believers who are stuck in the infancy stage. There's many believers who are still not communicating, still try, totally uh, dependent on somebody else to take care of their every need spiritually. But you see, we're called to grow. We're not called to stand still. We're not called to just stay in an immature state. Some of you, perhaps, are stuck in the infancy stage. You see, as we studied last week on these gifts that God has given to the church, gifts that God has given to the church are designed to get us beyond the infancy stage. And that infancy stage is a highly vulnerable stage. It's not just that they need their parents to take care of them. They need their parents to protect them. They're very vulnerable. The spiritual infant, now here's kind of bringing us into a little bit of the, the problem, but a spiritual infant has no doctrinal stability, no doctrinal understanding. And it says here then, that they would be tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. This is the problem. An infant would be tossed to and fro. And the word tossed to and fro means that surging. It's speaking of, a, of surging like the sea. It's just changing constantly. Tossed to and fro. Opinions are constantly changing. And, the, and, the, and our opinions, in, in an immature spiritual state, our opinions will constantly change with different waves of opinions. And they will change with the tide, so to speak. Being washed around, being tossed around by the different waves of doctrine. And the different waves of society. Because far too often in the church today, society dictates doctrine. And we allow the world to change the way that we teach the truth, the way that we teach the word. We allow the world to dictate to us what our doctrine is because we'll think, we say, well, well, things have changed. Society's different. Culture is different the word of God remains the same. Now, application to our lives may change over time, right? There was no electricity back in this day. So there's certain applications of, hey, there's electricity today. There's certain technology. But we have these applications. The word of God is still the same. Doctrine should remain the same. And remember that Ephesians, this is Paul writing a letter that is so much about these foundational truths within the church and trying to set up the church for success to be able to grow in Christ. Further, he uses this term carried about. 
And that in that day was a medical term speaking of the sick who were helpless and needed to be carried around. Those who were helpless in the hands of others. So you get the picture of what Paul is painting for us here. He's saying, look, we're no longer to be in the infancy stage where we could easily, we're easily so vulnerable and we're tossed to and fro with different waves of doctrine and we're just following various different opinions, whatever may sound good, not actually grounding ourselves in truth and growing in Christ and our own just to, to build ourselves up and grow in Christ, but allow the body of Christ to then build us up and allowing the gifts that God has given to the church in, in the, the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers and, 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 and the, um, the prophecy and the, the apostles that were so foundational in the church. These were the gifts to the church so that the church would grow and not be stuck in the infancy stage and not be tossed to and fro and not be in this vulnerable state like a sick person who needs to be carried about everywhere that they go, completely helpless in the hands of another. This is Paul's great charge to the church. To not be stuck in that place. And he gives these three clear illustrations of the vulnerability of immaturity. The vulnerability and further the danger of immaturity in the faith. From the nursery, out to sea, and into the hospital. Paul gives these pictures. Relatable illustrations for all different types of people to understand the dangers of immaturity in the faith. And the bottom line is that it is dangerous and it's easy to take advantage of any one of us if we're stuck in those places. If we're stuck in the infancy stage and we're tossed to and fro we're allowing ourselves to just be carried about. It's a dangerous place we can be taken advantage of. Further, Paul speaks of how some will now take advantage of the spiritually immature. There, and now he gives this great warning, and he, said, he gets into some false teachers now. That's what we're going to begin to talk about. Paul talks about this. Peter talks about this in his letter as well. But we're getting into the dangers of false teachings and false teachers. And what does he say here? Carried about with every wind of doctrine by trickery of men. A word, this word for trickery is a word used in the gambling scene in that day. Indicating the idea of the sleight of hand. The gambling scene, let's be real, the deck is always stacked against you, right? That's just the way it is. There's always the sleight of hand. The house always wins. And that's the idea that Paul is giving here. If we are living in a state of immaturity as infants in the faith, then we are allowing the deck to be stacked against us. Then we are actually letting the house win. We shouldn't even engage in that game, essentially. But what happens is, 
in a place of immaturity, we engage. In a place of spiritual infancy, we engage in that game. And Satan uses false teachers and false teaching to trick those who are immature in the faith. So what Paul is giving here is a big warning. Beware. Beware of the voices that you allow in. And maybe you watch all the televangelists on TV. Maybe you follow all the YouTube channels. Or maybe you listen to all those different evangelists on the radio or the podcast that make you feel good. They're comfortable. They scratch your itching ears. But Paul has a big warning here. Don't be tricked. Beware of the voices of teaching that you allow in. And some even will use scripture to their own benefit. Taking scripture out of context. This is happening all over the world in churches. The the Bible is not taught systematically in many churches around the world. This is why we open up, let's just go right through it. We left off in verse 13 last week. We'll pick up in verse 14 this week. I'll be honest with you guys. If I'm not teaching through the Bible, I've got nothing else to offer you. If I'm going to cherry pick a verse and, and give it to you, I don't have enough to say. I'm not that good of a motivational speaker, okay? But you see, I don't want to just motivate you guys. I want to, as Paul says, speak the truth in love. That's my responsibility. And that's, in fact, our responsibility to one another is to speak the truth in love and not just get caught up in what feels good. And and many will take Scripture and try to use it as a platform and they'll they'll speak things that's taking the Scripture out of context. A good example of taking Scripture out of context, I'll use Matthew chapter 7. For one, judge not lest you be judged. Now, this is one that the world is, they know it. I mean, somehow, the world knows it. Don't judge me. The Bible, doesn't your Bible tell you? Don't judge me. And the church will look at each other and say, don't judge me. Matthew 7, Jesus said, don't judge me. No, no. Judge not lest you be judged. It's not saying don't judge. It's saying, if you're going to judge, you're opening yourself up to judgment. And before you would offer a correction to any other person, take care of yourself first and open yourself up for judgment. And then you might be able to speak truth in love to another. It doesn't say don't judge. But a lot of people stop right there. The Bible says don't judge. Judge not lest you be judged and you open yourself up and you have to deal with your own sin issues before you're going to try to identify anybody else. And it's not our responsibility to identify anybody else's, but when we see it, we're called to hold each other accountable as we talked about last week and we'll talk about again in a few moments. But further now, Paul speaks of cunning craftiness. Is by trickery of men in the cunning craftiness. That word cunning craftiness translates to subtlety. 
kind of flying in under the radar. Isn't that what happens? As people are deceived, it's with a little, maybe, dose of truth involved. Or there's, there's just that little thing that's flying under the radar. It's okay. I mean, I kind of like this such and such televangelist, and I'm going to watch it because it's good. It's, it makes me feel good. But is it flying under the radar? And is it influencing you in a negative way that you are spiritually stuck in the infancy stage, not able to discern, not able to identify that something is a false teaching? And you're being tossed to and fro by the different waves of doctrine through the false teaching that's out there. Paul uses the same word here of this cunning craftiness in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 as he speaks of Eve with the serpent. He says the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. No doubt this is one of the tactics of the devil. Cunning craftiness, the father of lies, he is cunning. The devil deceived Eve by twisting the word of the Lord. If you eat from this tree, God said, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then you will die. Surely you will not die. But your eyes will be opened. There's a little bit of a feel-good moment there. Wow, my eyes will be open. That sounds good. Why is God telling me that I can't have my eyes open? That makes me feel good. It's cunning. It's crafty. It's subtle. It's flying under the radar. And, and, and Eve even probably thought to herself, what's the problem here? I've got four kids. Kids are really good at justifying their actions, right? You tell them, don't do that. Why? What's the problem? If I do this, there's nothing wrong with it. You're like, actually, I can see the whole series of events that lies before you. And eventually, this decision will lead to destruction, right? Like, why can't I color with permanent marker on the wall? What's the problem? The problem is I have to repaint the wall because I don't trust you to repaint the wall. This is the reality, though. It's like, oh, but there's nothing wrong with it. And there's all sorts of examples, and our, our kids are so good at that self-justification and thinking, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. And so why are you telling me I can't do it? It's okay. It's actually decent. My eyes will be opened. You're trying to keep me from something that could actually be good. No, I'm trying to do what's best for you because I know. And our Father knows what's best. But this is what the enemy does. He twists the word of the Lord. And in an infancy stage, we are susceptible to the same deceit as Eve. Jesus likewise recognized the same craftiness of the Pharisees. In Luke chapter 20, verse 23, it says, Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness, it says, 
and said to them, why do you test me? He uses that same word in speaking of the Pharisees as they're trying to constantly trick Jesus, to deceive him. And he says, why do you test me? You see, this craftiness is a test of God. The Pharisees were against Jesus, and they were themselves completely spiritually blind. And in that, they were leading others astray. And they come at Jesus with, well, who should we pay taxes to? And Jesus doesn't even engage. He He perceived their craftiness and says, why do you test me? This is the tactic of the devil. Cunning craftiness will easily deceive. Well, so then it gets a little further than that, right? In deceitful plotting, it says. And that's a term meaning those who lie and wait to deceive. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter writes, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Waiting, seeking whom he may devour. It's not just this, oh, well, by accident, some people may be deceived. No, the devil has a plan, guys. And the devil's plan is to pick apart the church, to tear apart the church. And when we allow for division, then we're playing into the devil's hands. It's a tactic of the devil, and that is not so subtle. Calculated deception is what we're talking about. That is the deceitful plotting. Calculated deception in some false doctrine and some false teachers are lying in wait to intentionally lead people astray. It's not just error, but it's calculated deception coming from the father of lies. Guys, the growth of the church is being attacked, and it has been for generations. Clearly, Satan does everything in his power to destroy the church through division. So Paul, he speaks on unity. And through deceit, so Paul teaches on maturity. And God equips the church through gifts that have been given to the church to maintain unity, to grow in maturity, and to combat the work of the devil. This is the work of the body of Christ together, guys. There's a lot going on here. And Paul says it himself, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. There's a lot going on. But yet we so often get caught up in the battle with flesh and blood with our brothers and sisters in Christ, not maintaining the unity of the body, not maintaining the unity of the spirit. Verse 15, we continue then, it says, but speaking the truth in love, now we turn the the tables a bit. Here's how we overcome. Here's how we combat the work of, of the devil. Here's how we don't fall into spiritual immaturity, but to bring forth spiritual maturity is that we would speak the truth in love. 
This is the opposite of the tactics of the devil. And listen, there's two extremes here. We have the truth and we have love, right? Speaking the truth without love is one extreme. Now, the truth without love is, like we talked about a few weeks ago, a gift without grace, right? And Paul writes of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when he speaks about love. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. It doesn't do anybody any good if I have not love. And so we'll sometimes speak the truth and it doesn't have love. Truth is good, but without love, it chases away those who we seek to win. Now, you, many of you know our friend, Pastor Ray Dash, and he had this saying a couple years ago when he was here, and I'll never forget it, tact without fact, going to get you smacked. <laughs> That's truth without love, right? We need to, to season our words with love, and we might, sometimes we'll be in the midst of something, well, it's true, yeah, but there's, where's the love? So here's the other extreme is speaking only love without truth. In which people, when they speak love, they define love in their own way. And if there's no truth with it, then love is a very fluid term. But the truth in love. You see, speaking only love without truth is unfaithful and ultimately harmful to the church. Truth in love has an equal balance of the two things. It takes truth and it takes love and it puts it together in a collective statement and a collective purpose. And the truth is in love is a word fitly spoken. The right place, the right time, the right words, the right motive the right approach. That's the truth in love. If I, if I speak the truth because I want to prove a point, is that loving? But listen, when you're part of the body of Christ, as we talked about last week, we are welcoming accountability. So we're welcoming the truth to be spoken in love, of course, to one another. We're welcoming sin to be addressed in love, of course. And that comes through relationship with one another and building one another up. The church of Ephesus knew Paul's love for them. Therefore, they received the needed correction or rebuke. And Paul, would, as he writes letters, he'll give a word of rebuke at times. But with love, it's received. And the, the verse finishes up here. That we may grow up in all things into him who is the head. We may grow up in all things. Speaking again of spiritually maturing, and that spiritual maturity is identified with Christ. It's not identified with the next, you know, 
book that's out there. It's not identified with some spiritual leader or a pastor or an evangelist or somebody you follow on social media or their YouTube channel or anything like that. Spiritual maturity is identified by Christ, as it says, with Christ, growing into Christ, who is the head. That we may grow up in him. Verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Paul now is using the human body as an illustration, something that everybody understands. We have a human body, and all parts of the body grow, and they grow together through proper nourishment. And the body is knit together in such amazing ways. The body needs the body to supply for the body. There's unbelievable things that are going on in our bodies. Scientifically speaking, there's amazing things that are going on. And Paul is using the body of a person as an example for the body of Christ in saying, There's amazing things going on on a regular basis in the human body. And it's knit together so perfectly and so beautifully, fearfully and wonderfully made. And God has made the body to do amazing things. And likewise, he's made the body of Christ. He's established the church to do amazing things. Knit together, working together. We don't have just like a finger over here and a toe over here that's trying to operate and figure out how to get things done. They're useless on their own. But all knit together, with Christ as the head, things are happening. Amazing things will happen. And likewise, it's our brain that sends all the signals to the body parts to do their thing, for our hands to move, for our eyes to blink, and for are all of these things to take place. And Christ is the one who sends the signal for everything to happen within the body, under Christ who is the head. This is the effective working, as Paul calls it. The effective working, this is the evidence of maturity is effective working. And as we talked about last week, we have the the leaders of the church, and we have the saints The body of Christ, believers in Christ, all doing their job. That is effective working. The effective body is fed, is nurtured, hurts are addressed, and the whole body works together to build up itself. If you're sick, your body works together heal, to grow, to be built up in strength. That's real science, by the way. The body is made fearfully and wonderfully for immunity, to build up immunity against sickness. The body of Christ is the same and should be operating under Christ 
in the same way, when somebody's hurt, we can come together and help. Somebody's sick, we lay hands on them. Somebody needs help, let's help. This is the purpose of all the parts of the body, to work together to build up immunity against the tactics of the devil. And through this effective working, we see great growth of the body in strength and in numbers. And there is strength in numbers. The whole body, as it, as it says here, does its part, does its share, not with the pastor at the top of the pyramid, with all responsibility to make the church go on. Jesus is at top. Jesus is the head. The church is a body where everyone does its part for the common goal and purpose of edifying itself in love. And there it is again, love, the essential. Now remember, the church of Ephesus, there was a rebuke given to them in the book of Revelation chapter 2. And that rebuke is that they left their first love. Paul speaks so much to them about love and the essential of love within the body of Christ to be able to get things done. Love is essential. And now the charge against them in, in Revelation chapter 2 is this one thing. Jesus says, one thing I have against you that you left your first love. You're a great looking church. You have lots of good programs. But you left your first love. And Paul gave them this warning as a starting point. You guys need love for one another. All the programs in the world, the best ministries in the world without love are useless. Let it not be so that we left our first love. Love is the most important ingredient in spiritual life and growth. Love is essential to the church. Jesus said, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It starts here, guys. We need to pour out love to one another and caring for each other. It is essential to the church. And that brings me back again, guys. This verse, verse 16, sums up our built life groups. Built is an acronym for building up in love together. That's what we're about. And we've been announcing this for several weeks because we're all about this as a church that we can not just be about standing up here at a pulpit and teaching a sermon and, and doing worship from the front, and, but we can all engage together in the word of God. And the work of the ministry, as we talked about last week, which is service, which is giving of ourselves to one another. Building up in love together is the word here in Ephesians 4.16. And it's our vision. Giving all of the body a greater opportunity to give grace, to give gifts, and to grow and to edify one another in love. 
We grow together by being together, by investing in each other's lives and speaking the truth in love to one another. And not just coming back to the pastors, oh, that person, they're, they're having a hard time. You need to go talk to them. Why don't you talk to them? God has equipped you to do great things as part of the body of Christ. Oh, that person's living in sin over there. Well, did you call them out on it? That's what the Bible tells you. Start there. God has given great gifts to the church to build the church and to continue to grow the church. And we're all part of it, every single one of us. And we can build one another up as we grow in grace and love for one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, would you challenge us today to grow in grace and in love for one another? We desire to see you glorified. We desire to see the body knit together in love for one another. Coming back to you, Jesus, our love for you is truly what knits us together. And we love you.